0: Uh, it's good to see you guys this morning. I uh, I just got back yesterday, last night, from being in New York City and uh, had a great time there signing uh, a few Disney books and having a good time at an event called Book Expo America and the highlight of the trip was I got to meet the author of Captain Underpants. <laughs> <laughs> what a great guy. I mean, Dave Pilkey's a great guy. St- uh, I got to stand right next to him. We were at tables adjacent to each other about halfway through. Again, he's a, just a funny guy and... Um, I looked over about halfway through and went, hey, how you doing underpants? (laughs) He said, pretty good, Disney dude. And I thought about it. I like my nickname better than his. (laughs) Just saying, just my thought. Glad that I didn't write about underpants. Neither here nor there. Now, this morning, as we celebrate and worship today, we wrap up a series called Jehoshaphat. We just switched mics, so you notice that this is a different mic this morning, and so let's fix that. Jumping Jehoshaphat, my brain will catch up, it's in Washington somewhere, coming back. But um, last week, we kind of left the story with our king, Jehoshaphat, in a bit of a pickle, if you will. And if you remember, we've kind of been taking this, this series a little bit different than other series we might do. And while we always break down scripture, we've literally just been kind of moving through the passage and and making some points and kind of unpacking the story of this king, good king, that our kids introduced to us in a musical a few weeks ago. Well, today we wrap up his story. And last week we discovered, though, that he made a tough, tough call. He made a decision. And after he made the decision, he asked God to bless the decision. We talked about how our lives get upside down when we do that. And how sometimes in our lives, the starting point needs to be God, then the decision. Well, King Jehoshaphat made a decision that has put him in a tough spot. And God has spoken. And God has told them what's getting ready to happen. And so this week, we kind of pick the story up and we see what happens in the aftermath of a moment where the king made a bad choice. And the ripple effect of that and how he comes back from that. And so we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But before we do, let's bow our heads and hearts one more time. And then stand and let's sing. God, I pray that you would once again, through an Old Testament story, usher us into your word in a fresh way. Help us to discover things there that we haven't seen before. Help us to see things about you that we need to be reminded of. And above all else, I pray that when we leave here this day, we would leave here excited about what you have called us to be, who you've called us to be, and how you've called us to flesh that out in the world around us. Lord, each moment that we spend with you, each opportunity that we get is a gift. And every moment is better with you than anywhere else we could ever be. Remind us of that as we stand and continue to celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Take your Bibles and go to Second Chronicles, chapter 18, as once again we return to the often visited book of Second Chronicles, and we continue to take a look at a story that, although it may not have been familiar when we started, now you're saying, will you ever get done? I got it. I got it. Uh, we, <laughs> we will today. Actually, we will. And then we move on to something bigger and better. That's the name of the new series, by the way, uh, Bigger and Better. And we'll start that next week. But today, we want to make sure that we um, wind up the story. And so we're going to talk about jump-starting. Jump-starting. And we're going to look at Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 28 through 1911. And again, that's a chunk of verses, no doubt. But we're going to move through them and, and explore some things. If you have your worship flyer, once again, uh, you can follow along. And we'll wrap up what are a few loose ends about this passage. And And hopefully... Give us a sense or a feel uh, for this king who is a good king. There's no doubt about it. I told you that when we started the series, what you saw our kids do in the musical, in this amazing battle, is really the end of the story or the end of his saga that we have in scripture. So we're kind of moving to that moment, but you're going to see what sets him up to be successful and to see what sets him up to be a king who is willing to call his people to fast, to pray, and then God gave them the most outlandish battle plan that they were prepared to listen to because of the groundwork of this king. And that's important to understand, Uh, especially when you think about the journey he's been on and where we left this guy last week. And so we pick that story up today. As we begin, um, I want to tell you about Mr. and Mrs. Brown. They had two sons. One was named Mind Your Own Business and the other was named Trouble. (laughs) Tough things to hang on a kid, no doubt. Um, one day, the two boys, two brothers, decided to play hide-and-seek. And so trouble hid while Mind Your Own Business continued or started to count to 100. As he started the process, um, trouble disappeared. When Mind Your Own Business was done counting, he began looking. And he began looking everywhere he could for his brother. He went looked behind garbage cans, he went behind bushes... He couldn't find any yards, so he went to his neighbor's yard. He started scrambling around the neighbor's yard, looking behind the hedges. Um, he started looking in and under cars, wherever he could, because his brother had hit well. And eventually, he caught the eye of a passing police officer. So the police officer approached him and asked the question that he knew he was going to ask. What are you doing? Playing a game, the boy replied. What's your name? The boy replied, mind your own business. Police officer raised an eyebrow, said, son, are you looking for trouble? Yes, I am. And that is the moment (laughs) that we find Jehoshaphat in. Jehoshaphat is in this week. He is inadvertently uh, gone looking for trouble, and he found it. A lot of choices he could have made better to get to this point, but he didn't. Uh, If you remember the story, we catch up from last week, I mentioned it a second ago, He has agreed to do something. He's agreed to go into battle with a king that he is now going to be family with uh, through a prearranged marriage, and and then he decides to ask God about it. When the prophet of God shows up, God's prophet is a lone voice against 400 other prophets that says, we ought to be going this way, and the prophet of God says, you're not going to win. And he finds himself now as a man who has positioned himself to follow God and do the right thing and the good thing. Who did something that's very simple. Yet subtly destructive. That we often do. We ask God to bless our plans after we make them. Instead of before we make the decision. And I know none of you have ever done that. So you can't identify with this story at all. Uh, But for some who will hear this and listen later. They can. And they know what it's like to find themselves in that really tricky water. Of asking God to bless something. That really is going to be a mess that somehow they have to navigate. And that's where the story begins today. And so if you have your Bibles open, Second Chronicles 18, um, verse 28, we pick up with these words. Then the king of Israel and Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, went up to Ramoth Gilead. In other words, they're going to lead their armies now against this neighboring nation. Ahab, the king of Israel, disguises himself while Jehoshaphat goes into battle wearing royal robes. Um, now I'm going to read the verse, but I would harken you back to what Micaiah had said the previous week when we were studying this. He had told the king of Israel, King Ahab, "You're not going to win. It's not going to happen. Uh, and if you come back alive, then you can prove me wrong." I mean. That's pretty subtle, right? And so the king comes up with a plan. Verse 29. But the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you, you wear your royal attire. So the king of Israel disguised himself and off they went into battle. Now, let's pause for just a second. What do you think about the battle strategy of these kings? If you ever thought that Jehoshaphat was a rocket scientist, you can now completely flush away any thoughts about that. He proves that it's not. I mean, Ahab says, let's do this. We'll enter battle together, and I'll look like a regular soldier. But for you, let's put a crown on your head, and a big target on your back. And and then let's just go out and let's fight that way. And Jehoshaphat says, good idea. (laughs) Now, again, we get to a moment where there's, take heart in this, okay? Again, there's a moment when we make bad decisions. You ever notice that bad decisions lead to more bad decisions for a while? You ever notice it's kind of like a domino effect in your life where you make one boneheaded call, you think you'll fix it with the next decision, and you make another boneheaded decision, and you look back and you go, why did I do that? Am I I the only one that does that? I mean, we've all done that, and and, and sometimes it's a few decisions in, and then all of a sudden we're like, man, how did I get here? Well, now we have the story getting ready to unfold, which is where we start picking up our first points. But this is where we are. You got Jehoshaphat getting ready to go into battle looking like a king. You got the king of Israel Ahab looking like a regular soldier and they're gonna fight a warring nation that the prophet of God has already told the king of Israel you're gonna lose. Here we go. The first point I want you to see is a point that all of us have to deal with in our life. We all have moments where we are in need of a jump start. When we're in need of a jump start. This passage to me is a powerful reminder that when you're running low on life, when you're stalled, or you've ventured off the path, if you are a follower of God, you're never alone. And that's good news. Uh, Jehoshaphat wants to be a follower of God. He's tried uh, in a number of ways to be a follower of God, but he doesn't always make good decisions. God is not going to leave him alone. God is going to be with him. Let's look back at the passage because King Aram has given orders To attack only the king of Israel. So you know what's going to happen here, right? When the soldiers see Jehoshaphat. They're going to assume he's the king of Israel. And they're going to go go after him. And what's Jehoshaphat going to do? He's going to do what we all do. We make bonehead choices. He's going to cry out to God. Help me, God. I'm in a jam. Because of my boneheaded decisions. Take a look in verse uh, 30. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. And when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. And when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now, hopefully you're getting what's going on in the story here, because there's a lesson in this. Here's the lesson. You don't have to be smart to be faithful. I I would love to say that there's some deep biblical truth here. There is, but maybe that's it for all of us. You don't have to be smart to be faithful. Because Jehoshaphat is not doing anything well right now. But yet... In the moment when he needs help, he knows where to go. And God is good. And God is kind. And God loves those who call him Father. And here's a moment that in spite of his best efforts, in spite of a lapse of judgment, and a lapse of bad decision making, Jehoshaphat is a man who's tried to live his life by faith. That matters. It matters for you and it matters for me. And so it's easy sometimes to be following God and then you make a mistake or you make a series of mistakes and you think, man, I should have known better. And yes, you should have. There's a lot of moments in your life where you say, I I shouldn't have done that. And you're absolutely right. You shouldn't have done that. But please remember that in God's economy, It's not one and done. And it's never over. And you are always able to cry out to him and he hears. I think that when you are standing there dressed as the king and you know that you're the target, the cries have a sense of urgency. But in your life, how many times have you had those moments where you've been desperate and you've cried out to God? And in spite of the fact that maybe you weren't as faithful as you should have been, in spite of the fact that you haven't followed as well as you should have, in spite of the fact that you haven't done the things that you should have done, God hears and He responds. Usually that's followed in our lives by the promise God, I'll never screw up again. (laughs) Which is yet another lie, because we will. We will. But at the same time, the encouraging part of this story is that God does show up, and God does the amazing. And God turns back an army away from him. God turns back the army that threatens to kill him. It's a powerful foreshadowing of what happens in the kids musical that we talked about. When God intervenes and they win the battle through the power of praise. Because God is everything. And God can do everything this may be the moment for Jehoshaphat to really see and understand that. Because he's looking at an entire army coming after him, and he realizes when he takes inventory, oh wait, I'm the only duck in the barrel. And they back away. It's pretty amazing stuff. in verse 33, we find out what happens to King Ahab, because remember, it was prophesied. Hey, by the way, dude, you're not coming back. And if you get back, you can tell me I'm wrong. Let's see, verse 33. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim. There's a lot said in that part of the verse. It's like Barney Fife with a bow and arrow. Right? And he gave him one arrow. (laughs) I should have written that in my notes because I like that line actually. That's pretty good. Uh, That was a long ride back yesterday. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim, And he struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. That's how I did it. He shot it just like this. And it hit it right between the joints of his armor. So he he doesn't look. He just fires an arrow. The arrow somehow miraculously ends up going between the seams of the king's battle armor. A fluke? You call it a fluke. I call it a fulfilled prophecy. You can call it whatever you want. Um, here's that moment. And so... The king says to the chari- charioteer, "Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am badly wounded." <laughs> the battle raged throughout the day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Arameans until evening. Then he died at sunset. Ahab's story's over. He should have listened. He had his chance. God told him in a variety of ways and spoke a language he could understand. The language of a lying prophet. Because that seemed to be what the king wanted. And said, you will lose and you will die. And Ahab thought he had a better plan. He said, well, I just won't dress like a king. I'll be okay. Here's what you gotta remember. You can dress up a pig and you still got a pig. There's a moment where we do our best to reclothe, reimagine, reorganize, or re image ourselves. But at the end of the day, It's not the robes that you wear. It's what's underneath that counts. This king died dressed like a warrior, and the arrow that got him was shot by a guy that didn't know where he was shooting, and it pierced the weak spot of the armor through the seams, and it was a kill shot. This is a man. Who didn't like the prophet of God because the prophet of God never said what he wanted to hear. When you live your life never wanting to listen to God, never wanting to respond to the things he wants to say, the books always balance. And God's will always is done. An important lesson somewhere in the weirdness of this story, tucked into the Old Testament. Jehoshaphat needed a jump start he needed help he found it and he found it in a God who always comes through the second thing I want you to see is this also I want you to see the need to attach to a power source attach to a power source this is the uh, what is wrong what do you do moment that every person faces where you look at life and go what's wrong what do I do now Um, in in any situation you're in you, you ask those questions they come rapid fire right What's wrong, what do I do? What's wrong, what do I do? What's wrong, what do I do? How do I respond here? This is that moment. It unfolds in Scripture. Uh, NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers is one of those football players that um, you may not like the team, you may not like the way that they play or don't play, but you tend to like him. Because he's in the State Farm commercials. But he also will be remembered, as history unfolds, as as, as an outstanding quarterback. But one of the things that I like about him, and I don't root for his team, but the team I root for never wins. Um, (laughs) Because God keeps keeps me humble. But um, is that he listens to his coaches. Hey, this guy is going to the Hall of Fame one day. But let me quote what he says. I love being coached. I love talking football with smart coaches. I love the input. I love the perspective. I love the dialogue. I love the conversation. And I love to learn. His head coach says this, Aaron is a great student. He wants to be coached and he wants you to coach him hard. And sometimes we don't want to because he's Aaron Rodgers. And he wants to be coached just like everybody else. Steph Curry right now is playing in the NBA Finals, uh, one of the best basketball players in the NBA, and he has the same attitude. One of the, his coaches said he, has the most, he is the most ed, educatable, educatable player I've ever known, both in terms of his willingness to listen and his ability to absorb what is taught and then execute it quicker than anybody else. What does it mean? It means he can learn. It means he's willing to grow. And no matter how many good they are, these are two guys that are pretty much at the top of the game. They're still realizing that there's more to do, and there's more to learn, and there's more to become. It's teachability. It's a willingness in that moment where you say, what's wrong? What do I do? What do I do next? How do I fix this? Where do I go forward? It's a willingness to be able to listen. Remember in the children's musical? when we discovered that sometimes it's not that God isn't answering prayers, it's just that we're not listening. This was a moment where we're reminded again that Jehoshaphat is a guy who's coachable. He's teachable. He's willing to listen. And in your life, you have to ask the same question. Are you teachable? Are you willing to listen? And do you like it? See, because the problem is, one of the reasons we're not teachable and coachable is because we don't like it because we think that it's somebody telling us that they know more than we do. Well, let me let you in. Let me, let's pull the curtain back a little bit because summer has started. Okay, so we're now in the summer season here. So we've got people coming and going. We'll have some empty seats during the summer because people are traveling. So let, me just, let me just pull back the curtain just a minute and tell you guys something for the summer that I won't tell anybody else. You don't know everything. And you don't know enough. And you're not smart enough. And nobody in this room is, because the, the, that's just who we are. So we're all destined to be lifelong learners. And God teaches us and moves people in our lives to teach us in a variety of ways. We push back against it because we take offense, because somebody's making us feel dumb. It's not about feeling dumb. It's about is there more to learn, is there more to do, is there more to discover. And God can use a variety of people to bring that into your life if you're willing to listen. Because here's what I know, God's always speaking. My problem is, is am I I listening? Because when I quit listening, I'm then no longer coachable. I'm no longer teachable. And I don't know a lot about learning. I'm not a smart man, but I do know this. God has called me to be a lifelong learner. He has for you as well. Because only in making the decision to be a lifelong learner will you ever be the follower you're created to be, the best version of you. And so we come to 2 Chronicles 19, 1-11. Jehoshaphat goes home. He survived it. God miraculously intervenes, pulls back the armies. Ahab is dead, he sent a chariot with an arrow through the armor, and in verse 1 it says this in chapter 19, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his home in Jerusalem in peace. Verse 2, then Jehu, the son of Hanani, Hanani, the seer, went out to confront him and said to king Jehoshaphat, do you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the Lord's wrath is on you. In other words, he gets home and he gets called out by Jehu, who basically is saying, Look, what were you thinking? Do you just love those that hate God? Do you do what people who don't follow God tell you to do? What are you thinking? What are you doing? However, he realizes he's talking to a king. Verse 3. However, some good is found in you. You have removed the Asherah poles from the land and have decided to seek God. And this is an important moment. This is that moment where for the king, he's going to decide, is he going to learn from what he's done? Or is he going to push back on someone making him accountable? Because he could. He's king. He couldn't have had Jehu wiped off. could have gotten rid of him. I'm the king, you don't talk to me that way. Instead, what he does is that he decides that this is where he will connect to the power source that gets him where he needs to be. See, you have to do that as well. We all cry out to God, and we all have those moments where God intervenes, but then Where we tend to stumble sometimes is in that teachable moment in the aftermath of it. We don't learn the lessons we need to. We don't decide to be better tomorrow than we were today. We don't decide that tomorrow is going to be a better day because of the lessons learned today. We decide instead to just eh, repeat what I did the day before. Eh, God rescued me. He'll rescue me again. And sometimes we take the grace and blessings of God for granted. No doubt about it. So this is that moment that happens a heartbeat before change comes. This is the heartbeat before transformation begins. Whether King Jehoshaphat is going to be honest with himself and honest with God. And move forward. Or whether he's going to decide to stay the same. And be nothing else. He has to attach to the power source. For everyone who's a follower, you live your life basically with the extension cord of your life in your hand. And you make the decision, am I going to stand here and just hold this cord and muddle my way through life, or am I going to attach to the power source that's going to get me through the day? See, we don't like attaching to the power source sometimes because we think we're going to get to the end of our cord and he's going to jerk us back. Well, if he does, you need to be jerked back. Because he will always give you that place to plug in. And find the power you need in him. To be who you were created to be. And so in your own life you ask yourself the question. Am I attaching my life? And hooking up to that power source. Because that's what Jehoshaphat has to decide now. Which brings me to the third thing. If you choose wisely you find the power you need. Um. Most of us in our lives never realize that we're one step, one choice, one decision from beginning and reigniting the journey to be the person we were created to be. Because sometimes the messes we're in are so big that we think they're just too big and we can't get out of them. And so we try to climb and claw our way out of them. um, But it happens one step, one moment, one choice at a time. It doesn't happen quickly. And so as much progress as Jehoshaphat has made, as much as he tried to realign his kingdom to God, he has now done something that has taken the focus off of God, put himself in a bad spot, put his kingdom in a bad spot. Although he returns in peace, it doesn't come without a price, and he understands that. And so he has to return to go, if you will, and go back and start doing what needs to be done. A lot of people enjoy the game Monopoly. One card um, that you occasionally discover is when someone says, when someone lands on chance, and you get a card that says, return to go, collect 200 bucks. Now, in some ways, the irony of that directive is that it seems to penalize you. But at the same time, it rewards you. Because what it does, it sends you back to the beginning of the board for another loop around. But at the same time, it gives you a gift when you get there. In our lives, God does that for us over and over again. It's that moment that He says, hey, look, return to go. Let's realign, let's re-aim, let's start again. I'm going to bless you, and we're going to kick you out. The game's back on. By the way, as we come to Surge Day in the end of August, our theme this year is Game On. And it's going to be a day where we discover that this game of living that God has called us to, not the game of life, but the game of living, is a big game and an incredible game, and the life lessons that we discover are amazing. The key is, to get it right, you've got to play. You've got to get in the game. This is Jehoshaphat's moment, and we're going to get in the game. Verse 4, although Jehoshaphat lives in Jerusalem, It says this, he lived in Jerusalem, but once again, he went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to Yahweh, the God of their ancestors. In other words, he doesn't stay home. He doesn't make a proclamation and say, I just tell everybody, love God, forget about it. He goes out on tour. And he goes out into the highways and the byways. And he meets and he goes face to face with people. And he steps up before them and says, here I am and I'm your king. And I've learned and this is where I've been. And this is what I know. We need to love and we will follow God. And we will live by his standards. And then he appoints judges throughout the kingdom. And he gives them instructions on how to be a good judge. Um, This is kind of laid out in Deuteronomy 16. And so he returns to that. But in verse 5. 7, he says, he appointed judges in all the fortified cities of the land of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, consider what you are doing. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the matter of judgment. This is coming from a king who has had very bad judgment. Not so long ago. But he learned. He decided to be different. Verse 7. And now, may the terror of the Lord be on you. In other words, get it right or look out. Watch what you do, for there is no injustice or partiality or taking bribes with the Lord our God. I think at this point, he's learned his lesson. I think he's got it. And now he's putting in place a mechanism where the people can understand and connect to God. And then he goes on and appoints Levites and priests and clan leaders to serve as judges, verse 8-11. to Jehoshaphat also appointed in Jerusalem some of the Levites and priests and some of the heads of the Israelite families uh, for deciding the Lord's will and for settling disputes among the residents of Jerusalem. He commanded them, saying, In the fear of the Lord, with integrity and with a whole heart, you are to do the following. For every dispute that comes to you from your brothers who dwell in the cities, whether it regards differences of blood guilt, law, commandment, statutes, or judgments. You are to warn them so they will not incur guilt before the Lord and wrath will not come on you and your brothers. Do this. And you won't incur guilt. What's that mean? He's telling them, go with God. In other words, tell them and make connected dots here. Seek God's will First before you do what you're getting ready to do next, or you will incur the wrath of God. Give them that advice. Well, I wonder where he learned that. And then he says, and you as judges, don't you get off track. Stick with the message. Stick with the God message. It will keep you out of trouble. Verse 11, know that Amariah the chief priest is over you in all matters related to the Lord. And Zabadiah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, and all matters related to the king, and the Levites are officers in your presence. Be strong. May the Lord be with those who do what is good. Jehoshaphat has now come full circle. He's gone back to saying the right words, doing the right thing, in the right way, at the right time, and it will make a difference. It will make all the difference. It will make a difference for the kingdom. Which brings us all the way full circle and sets us up to what what you saw the kids share in the children's musical. Which is an incredible battle. An amazing moment. Where God does the unthinkable. And they win a battle very much in Jericho style. Where they never have to pick up a weapon. And they win with the power of praises and shouts to God. That doesn't happen if their king doesn't learn. It doesn't happen if their leader doesn't get it. It doesn't happen if they can't hear the word of God, which he made sure they heard. And he put them in a position to do it. In your life, you have the opportunity to do so many things. Never underestimate the power of the story of God, who he is, what he does in your life, how he works. Never underestimate the influence that can have and never underestimate what can happen when you get it right. Let me close with this story as long, as they all have been as I've closed each week. Uh, The frigid wind tore across the icy lake. And the surface of Lake Michigan ripped through the construction site, transforming the frozen expression on Eli's face into a hardened mask. And as that wind blew in, it created one more job for the man who was already doing everything. Chicago couldn't endure another great fire, so Eli was making sure that hundreds of newly installed fire hydrants in Jackson Park didn't freeze, which he ensured wouldn't occur as he encased each one in a steaming pile of horse poo. Putting horse poo around fire hydrants was not the job he signed up for. But truth be told, he didn't mind. He really hoped his contribution to building the Chicago World's Fair would help him get one step closer to his dream job. That of a contractor. Where one day he would be the boss. And have his own small office. For as long as he could remember, he had imagined his name on the window of a small shop as the owner of a modest shop in the heart of a small town. Where a hard-working immigrant could claim a small piece of the American dream. So Eli focused on that dream and ignored the mind-numbing cold and the stomach churning smell of the task at hand. Just like he ignored the exhaustion at the end of every 10-hour shift and the long walk back to the tumble-down shack where he tried to sleep off the cold and push it away. It was the winter of 1893, and America was in the grip of her first Great Depression. So Eli was happy to cover fire hydrants with horse poo. He was happy to dig trenches, pour concrete, and tend coal fires that belts black smoke into the icy air. In between doing what needed to be done, he also apprenticed with electricians, bending and attaching long black wires that would carry what they were explaining to him to be alternating current to thousands and thousands of light bulbs. Eli learned carpentry. He constructed giant frames that dotted the landscape. He went underground with the plumbers, connecting pipes, sealing seams, and building the subterranean infrastructure of a destination that would attract visitors from all over the world. He learned how to weld. He learned how to plaster. He worked with painters. And then when it was done... He whitewashed the entire creation until the whole of Jackson Park was transformed into a gleaming, glistening, white city along the lake. In short, Eli worked like a dog to help build the Chicago World's Fair. If Mike Rowe were doing a a television show, he did every dirty job you could do along the way. Mastered a few useful trades trying to provide a living that was hard to come by for his wife and five kids. But he never got his dream job. He never got a chance to hang a shingle over a modest shop on the main street. But that's not to say that his dream didn't come true. You see, Eli possessed another skill that history never really has given him credit for. Like maybe history should. But it turned out that this skill. Turned out to be just as valuable. As the other skills that he perfected. Working day after day at the Chicago World's Fair. Let's call it an act of imagination. Because in. The years that followed. Every night. Usually after dinner. Eli would regale his children with tales of the Chicago World's Fair. He would talk about the grandeur of Mr. Ferris's giant wheel. The marvels of modern technology that they had stuffed inside. The wonder on the faces of thousands of tourists who raved in hundreds of different languages at what they were seeing and experiencing in this place that was nothing short of magical. Eli spoke reverently. About the gleaming pavilions bursting with glowing exhibits, and he described in mouthwatering detail the smorgasbord of crepes, sausages, and the very best a delightful new treat they called Cracker Jack. And his kids ate it up. (laughs) They wanted to hear more, especially his youngest. He couldn't hear enough of the stories. He dreamed of seeing the wonders for himself. He wanted to taste the flavors, especially the Cracker Jack. He longed to hear and see the booming fireworks the displays that he could only imagine through his father's stories. And Eli would ruffle the boy's hair and say, son, you would have loved it. That fair? Ah, that fair was the best place on earth. If Eli didn't tell the kids the whole story, we have to understand. Because, see, it seems to me very unlikely that people would stand in line for hours to smother a fire hydrant in poo. But make no mistake, hundreds of years later, people are standing in line to enjoy the fruits of Eli's labor. Because a slightly slightly new and better version of Chicago's World's Fair exists, where each day... Every day, visitors from all over the world wait in line for hours to experience the various attractions. But to get there, they have to stroll down the Main Street USA. It's a walk through nostalgia that reminds every guest what can be accomplished with a little imagination and a lot of hard work. And on Main Street USA, the storefronts are impossible to miss. There's a dentist. A haberdasher, a lawyer, a barber, a candy maker. And there, just above the jewelry shop, if you look, you'll see a sign that is impossible to miss, but many do. And it reads, Elias Disney, contractor. It's right there. Looks like this. It's right in the middle of Main Street, USA. Right where Eli always dreamed it would be. He was a hard man. He lived a rough life. And sometimes he pushed further than he needed to. But he loved his kids. And he told them the stories. And for one son, his young son named Walter, that story inspired and changed his life forever. Because his son discovered from the story of his father and learned of a dream that could be and was inspired enough to hear the right words that were said in the right way at the right time that compelled him to do just the right thing to make it happen. If it can happen with theme parks, it certainly can happen with the kingdom of God. And we live in a day and age where we think it doesn't matter. It matters. We think no one cares what we do. They do. And we think that we're just one person. And it's just as a little part. It's a big part. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are called. To touch and change the world. The little things matter. The big things matter. The work that you do matters. And the way that you say it. And the way that you do it. And the places you do it. It is how God takes you and uses your life to change others. And when you do it, God will take it and bless it and do far more with it than you ever thought He could. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, In a moment, we make a decision, a choice of what we'll do, of what we'll be, of what we'll become. And Lord, uh, moments come and go, and sometimes we don't give it a lot of thought. But I pray that you would help us to learn the lessons of these stories that we have been digging through in the Old Testament and remind us of the power of the choice that we make and how important it is to do what we do and do it right so that it honors you. Lord, there are some who will hear this, who have heard this, who will listen in the days ahead. And for them, the journey has to begin by making the first choice, the God choice. To decide to give their lives over to you. An act of surrender that simply says, I will trust because I believe. And that will cause and compel me to follow. And in believing and trusting and following, we begin this incredible journey Of being a God follower, a Christ follower. And we begin to discover that our lives, our story, makes a difference. Because then and only then does our story become your story. And then and only then do we have a story worth telling. Lord, there's others of us who we've made that choice, but we struggle like King Jehoshaphat did. We get things out of order, we misplace our priorities we convince ourselves that life is about what we want and what we think and not about what you want and what you think. And sometimes we've learned painful lessons about that and other times you, in spite of ourselves, have just moved in and taken care of it. But God, I pray that we would walk away from these stories with a real sense, a desire, to get it right. And Lord, if we could learn that lesson, then we would discover a victory, a celebration, and a power in our life that you're just waiting to jumpstart each and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the now what is simple, and it's the same one we've used all through the series. Say the right words. Say at the right time. Say in the right way. Do the right thing. If you do, God will take it. He'll bless it. Not because I said so. Because he promised he would.